Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series today in the New Testament book of Acts, and we will be covering chapter 1, verses 15 through 19 today. So let us begin with the reading of the scripture. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names were about 120. And he said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David, concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle of all, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, the field of blood. You will remember in our last session that following the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven, the disciples and other followers gathered together in the upper room. We know that the, 12, the 11 disciples were there along with women and, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and also his brothers. And our scripture today tells us that there were about 120 people who were actually gathered together in that room. Dr. H.A. Ironside made this observation. When God is going to do some great thing, he moves the hearts of people to pray. He stirs them up to pray in view of that which he is about to do, so that they might be prepared for it. The disciples needed the self-examination that comes through prayer and supplication that they might be ready for the tremendous event that was about to take place, the coming to earth of God, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in believers and empower them to witness for him. That is why, after spending much time in prayer, Peter was impressed to speak to those gathered about a replacement for Judas, who had betrayed Jesus to his crucifixion and death. Now you remember, originally there were 12 disciples, just as there were 12 tribes of Israel. The number 12 uh, in, in, in Bible terms is the number of perfect administration. That is why we see the number 12 uh, so prominently um, depicted in the scriptures. 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles, and we see in the New Jerusalem that there are 12 foundations and 12 uh, gates into the New Jerusalem. The tribes are the foundation and the gates are the apostles. This uh, was the motivation behind Peter's um, desire to uh, make sure that there were 12 apostles established in their community. And this act, actually, of establishing the 12th 
apostle was the last act of the old dispensation of things. The old order of things was waxing away and the new had come. The old dispensation of the law was now past because Jesus rose from the dead and the new dispensation of grace had come. That is why we say today that we are no longer under law, but under grace. In Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 through 19, uh, the writer of this, of this scripture penned this. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. The law could not save. The law was powerless to save. What the law did was point out that we are sinners and we need a Savior. It is Christ alone who can save. And this is by His grace. When the church was born on the day of Pentecost, nothing would ever be the same again. The coming of the Holy Spirit would transform everything from that point forward. So Peter is uh, just kind of make, setting the stage, preparing the way for that great day as they waited. Peter said in verse 16 that scripture must be fulfilled. He uh, is making reference to some of David's prophetic declarations about the role that Jesus, that Judas would play. For example, in Psalm 41 verse 9, he writes this, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. This is a prophetic declaration that David is making in his psalm. Prophetic speaking of the coming Messiah, who expressed the sorrow that a familiar friend who sat side by side with Jesus and ate his bread actually betrayed him to those who would crucify him. In Psalm 55, verse, verses 12 through 14, David writes this, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng a little later on, David adds this, He has put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. So let's talk about Judas. What happened that brought them to this pivotal moment as the disciples waited on the coming of the promised Holy Spirit. Judas, one of the chosen 12, he uh, had participated 
in the ministry right alongside with the Twelve. He had been chosen out of many disciples to become one of the Christ's inner circle of the Twelve. Jesus had given to him authority to do ministry, the teaching and healing, deliverance ministry, raising the dead even, participated in all of that. Jesus had entrusted to Judas the group's finances. But careful reading of the gospel accounts tells us that it was known that he frequently stole out of the funds that were entrusted to him. He had seen the same things the other 11 apostles had seen. He had heard the same teachings. He had experienced the same love and grace. And even at the Last Supper, he received the same loving care as the 11, Christ washing his feet right along with the rest of them. Christ gave Judas every opportunity to repent, to turn away from his terrible plan, but he refused. What had Judas planned? Well, before the Last Supper, Jesus had gone to the Pharisees, and he's, he promised to deliver Jesus to the Pharisees for a price, 30 pieces of silver. And this, too, was in fulfillment of prophecy. In Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, Scripture says this, Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. So let's take a look at what Judas did on that day when he betrayed Jesus to his critics. And let's take a look at what the end result would be. So in Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16, it says this, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Why would Judas do such a thing? Perhaps he was looking for a political messiah who would deliver them from the cruel oppression of the Roman Empire. Perhaps he thought if he could push the agenda forward, he could get special favor in Jesus' new kingdom that he would establish. Perhaps he was jealous of Peter, James, and John and others who, in his eyes, seemed to have special favor with Jesus. And, of course, he was being influenced by Jesus' most ardent enemy, Satan himself. What a terrible choice he made. What a cruel deception and betrayal. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this was all the pre-planned sign to show the temple guards who Jesus was. And when Judas betrayed Jesus, he also betrayed the eleven who had walked with him, served with him, fellowshiped with him, and for three and a half years, he was their companion. Heartbreaking. Terrible. Just imagine the impact this had on the disciples. What he had done. They were hurting, even as they were moving forward. So Jesus was, was sentenced to death, uh, death on the cross, death by crucifixion. And we need to understand that this is not an ordinary death. The Roman Empire had refined crucifixion to a scientific measure of suffering Agonize, and agonizing that uh, was beyond description. They had it down to a science. It was terrible. And it was the ultimate betrayal. When Judas realized what was happening and that his, his plan was not being carried out, he was filled with regret. And so let's read what took place once Jesus was arrested. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 10, it says this, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was remorseful, and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed. Our passage in, in Acts does provide us with a parenthetical description of the demise of Judas. In verse 18, it says, Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. Pretty gruesome pretty terrible. Peter described what happened to Judas as the wages of iniquity. That is always the price for sin, if it is not repented of. Death. 
And it plays out in many ways. Death of relationships, death of peace and joy, death of marriages, death of security, death of reputation. The list could go on and on. But the ultimate one is the one spoken of in Scripture when it says the wages of sin is death, death of the body. And which, sadly, if, it's, if there is no repentance, the uh, eternal death in hell. Judas is good for us to consider. Here is a man who is active in ministry. He had daily fellowship with Jesus and with other believers. He enjoyed the good reputation of being with Jesus, the most popular man in Israel, the Savior of the world, the promised Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, the Redeemer, the Son of God. But he was not saved. Judas was a man like us. We too can be deceived by good works, but neglecting the most important thing, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, to quote from Dr. Ironside, it is not enough to take the Christian name, become members of Christian churches, submit to the ordinance of baptism, participate with the believers in the Lord's Supper, or give of our money to further the affairs of Christ. We need to be sure we have definitely opened our hearts to the Lord Jesus, that we have received him as our own personal Savior. Let us be warned, therefore, and make sure ours is not just an intellectual recognition that Jesus is God's Son, the rightful King and Savior of sinners, but that he is our Savior and our Lord. So let's go back to what Peter said about Judas, that his destruction was the wages of iniquity. Judas refused to repent. Oh yes, he was sorry. And he was filled with regret and remorse, but he refused to repent, to turn away from his sin, to confess his sin and ask for forgiveness. There is a difference. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, it says this, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us is nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence had it produced in you? What clearing of yourselves? What indignation? What fear? What vehement desire? What zeal? What vindication? In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this manner. I love the passage in 1 John 1, 9. It's so clear. It says that if we confess our sins, that would be repentance. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. 
Remember, it says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let me ask the question. Have you received the gift? Do you know Jesus? I mean, do you really know him as your personal Lord and Savior? Does your life, your words and deeds, do they bear witness to the fact that you have met and personally know the risen Lord? What is the evidence? In what do you place your hope? Let me share a string of scriptures that might help both you and me to consider our faith. And take this opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and mind as you consider these passages. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must give the most more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. 1 Peter 5, chapters, or verses 6 through 11. Therefore, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a, a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Fathers, we've considered these scriptures. Our hearts are moved. How great is your grace, O God. You are so willing to forgive and to receive us as your own. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would hear the prayer of your people, that you would hear their cry, you would see the longing in their heart and that you would answer from heaven. Lord, may we be faithful like Peter and the other apostles. May we not be complacent or manipulative 
or um, just surface only in our faith like Judas was. But may we allow you to purify us from within, to sanctify us, set us apart for your holy calling, your holy service. May we walk with Jesus day by day, walking in accordance to your word, not out of compulsion, but because of love. You have loved us so much. May we love you with all of our hearts. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And so until next time, my dear friend, may God richly bless you and continue to speak to you through his powerful word.